DJ PK, time to bring in David Locke. His weekly visit brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David joins us on the T-Mobile and special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you, David? Good. How are you, PK? Uh, You know, I mean, whatever. Okay. (laughs) I'm fine. Sounds good. So as you watch the Nuggets go through the postseason and go through the Clippers and advance to the Western Finals, are you discouraged that the Jazz let an opportunity to get away and this could have been them? Or you are encouraged because, hey, yeah, one through seven, it sounds like a long way, but the fact is very little separates these top teams in the West. What do you think? I think probably both, don't you think? I mean, you certainly... I think it showed that the Clippers were not cohesive and were not particularly interested in being in the bubble. And when Lou Williams was quoted knowing the days right after the game, you can tell, you know, and that, you know, just the, the camaraderie difference between the Miami Heat and Denver Nuggets and, you know, seemingly Boston Celtics um, compared to the Los Angeles Clippers is pretty dramatic um, just in the way they're portraying themselves. So I think it's clear that the Clippers were not as cohesive and were more vulnerable than maybe we had thought. Um, and so, you know, certainly having lost that, um, lead in game five or being that close to winning the series and not closing it out is is awfully painful. It'd be nice to be playing the Lakers tonight. Um, but I also think we've seen, you know, what, one of the things we're seeing in the bubble that's really interesting to me is we're seeing leads just go away. Um, like this 15, 16 point swing is just not strange at all. And, it's funny, as I talked to a bunch of players before they went to the bubble, that was the thing most of the players talked about, is they thought the runs would be very different because you didn't have crowds behind you either. Um, you know. And I don't think that – but I, I had taken the impression from the players that they thought the runs, runs in the game would be shorter because there was no crowd, or at least that's the way I interpreted it, not that it would be longer and more extended. And that's what we're seeing is that without the crowd and without the environment, when a team gets rolling a little bit, it's really hard to slow them down. Um, and then from the other standpoint, I would say, you know, I think Denver's encouraging. We can build a roster the way Denver has. We can't really build a roster the way L.A. has. And we probably can't build a, way, a roster the way Miami has. Um, but we can build a roster the way Denver has, and um, that should be encouraging to us. But that's, that's a model that's working. And, you know, had it been the Lakers and the Clippers and the Heat, and then that's a little less encouraging. I'm interested in your thought about not being able to build a roster in terms of the Heat. Now, obviously, Jimmy Butler is the exception, although when he came out, he was the 30th pick. When you look at the top, uh, let's go the top six guys from the Heat, you got Harrow. Hero was a 13th uh, pick. Out of bio, 14th. I just said Butler, 30. Uh, Crowder, 34. Uh, Drogic's 45th, and Duncan Robinson undrafted. So why would you say they can't build it the way Miami has? So because Jimmy Butler was a marquee free agent that they okay. signed in the offseason, and, yeah. and I'm not thinking of him as a 30th pick. I'm thinking of him as, you know, he was one of the three or four marquee free agents, and we're just not going to get that player at that point. Um, <clears throat> so that would be my thought on it. The other one with Miami, and while they have drafted Tyler here on Bam out of Bayou, that I do think you can look into that's really interesting is Miami's done a really masterful job of the willingness to move draft picks to acquire talent and at the same time 
having enough draft picks that they still have young players. And that they've done that probably better than anyone in the league. So Goran Dragic, if I remember correctly, they gave up like three first-round draft picks for him. And then yet they still have Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, who are, you know, picks that they took. And I'd have to go back and see where they got all the, you know, how they reacquired picks or what they've done. But, you know, there there is a level... I mean, I remember being really thinking Miami had just like made one of the worst trades of all time when they traded for Goran Dragic because they gave up three first-round draft picks, and I think many of them were unprotected. It just seemed like an insane move, and yet, you know, it hasn't really come back to bite them at all. And I don't even know if those picks have turned into much of anything. So that's a good lesson of like you should be willing to move your pick, right? Like as much as you love your next draft pick and your next first-round pick, and it's so exciting that it's actually worth often worth making that move. Now, the flip side of that is that, you know, they also somehow have Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero are are terrific pieces for them for the future. So as we watch guys like Jimmy Butler have a huge impact making really, just really clutch shots, just such critical times, such big shots, we sit here and talk about how much the Jazz are going to improve based on how do you find this guy, how do you find that guy, but how much of it is well, the Jazz will improve and go as far as uh, Donovan Mitchell does. If Donovan Mitchell is one of the top 15 players in the league, they'll get to one level. If he's one of the top five, six, seven players, they'll get to another level. And if he's one of the top two or three players in the league, then the championship's in play. How much of it does it really rest on the development of one or two of your best players, Mitchell and Gobert? Well, I think, and I think Rudy probably fits into this you know, can Rudy find a way to score, get enough balance in that frame to be able to score over people? Like Rudy right now really just cannot score if there's someone in between him and the basket. Um, Adebayo hit like a little floater last night. You know, they're running basically the same pick-and-roll game the Jazz are running and torching the Celtics and doing, you know, Duncan Robinson was playing Boyan Bogdanovich last night. You didn't want to leave him in the corner because he's too good a shooter, and then Adebayo was able to roll to the basket on a smaller guy like it was all the same stuff, but maybe one of the biggest plays was Adebayo hit a little four-foot floater over a defender, and that's the that's the piece that Rudy doesn't have yet. Is can Rudy find a way if he if someone stays underneath him and he has someone between him and the basket that he can start to score um, that shot? And, you know that would be a huge developmental piece, and certainly Donovan as well. The one thing that has been um, again at, I think positive for the Jazz is that continuity seems to be important. Now, is continuity important because they're in the bubble and it's a unique circumstance, or is continuity important? I'm not entirely sure, but frankly, you know, I think there's something to be said that the, the Warriors had a culture and they added Durant to it, and he actually screwed it up, but they were good enough with that culture that they kept winning for a while uh, with their championship. Um, that Cleveland team that won with LeBron had been together for for a while, Tristan Thompson and all those those pieces kind of they they had been together, um, so it does seem as though continuity is is holding to have some importance. Um, and you know, there's probably exceptions to the rule, but that's that's a good sign as well. So the fact that you know Denver's winning and and Boston, frankly, has a continuity. You know, I think Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart have probably been on the same team for five years now, and. And Jason Tatum's been on it for three years, and so then they added Kemba Walker, which was just a cultural improvement from the flat Earth crazy show that Kyrie Irving was for them last year. So, um, you know, I think that that's a that's their that's another positive lesson for the way the Jazz and Dennis and, and Justin have built this roster. 
So I actually think that it won't be as far as Mitchell and Gobert because it seems like they are, I don't want to use resigned, but they're planning to have those guys together. If you listen to Dennis Lindsay in his Zoom call, he's very complimentary of uh, Gobert, and obviously Mitchell's a, a superstar in the making right before our eyes. So with these two guys, and you're paying them big, big, big-time money, that the success of this franchise is going to be determined by those other guys, by the Adebayus and the Heroes and the Drogics and Jay Cowder and whatnot, to use the Miami example. So it's what expertise that the the management of uh, Zanuck and Lindsay can come up with to flush out the roster with some serious quality players, say like three through seven or eight. Respond to that. Uh, it's an interesting thought. I mean, I do, I'd still probably, you know, I think it's a whole collective effort. So we're probably both, you know, what you, David presented and what you presented are probably both accurate. Um, you know, if Bo- I cannot figure out how Boston is not winning the series. I'm just totally mystified by it. I think Boston's so good and their roster's so loaded, but maybe it's that they're not deep enough one through eight. I have a hard time with that. I mean, I honestly, like, I just, you know, on last night they didn't win because they didn't play as hard as Miami. So, like, that one was simple. I mean, there's the offensive rebound. It turned out Tyler Hero throws away on the turnover, and they don't get paid, punished for it. It's, to me, it's a symbolic play of the entire game. Um, but Miami just played, you know, the two, the three biggest plays of that entire series right now are defensive plays. Bam's block and the two steals by Jimmy Butler. And those were all eff- incredible effort, tenacity, reading the game correctly um, plays. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Miami might be your, you know, your argument of two through seven or, or two through eight or nine, you know, to get there. Um, cause I guess what I'm saying, but I think that they're really winning cause they're just playing harder and have incredible tenacity. I feel like Boston's top six is so much better than Miami's and really should be winning that series. I'm a bit stunned that they're not, um, Boston's just loaded. Um, but, um, and then this next, you know, the Denver, the Denver, series with the Lakers would be interesting. Like as we go into it, who do you think has better players through eight and or nine in their roster on these two teams? Yeah, I would have said Denver, but the Laker bench has impressed me big time of late. Yeah. I mean, the, the question is whether you can count Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee in that list, I think, right. If it turns out like during the regular season, when JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard were on the floor, against Jokic, the Nuggets torched the Lakers. They, the, but on the flip side, when Anthony Davis played the five and Jokic played the five, the Lakers torched the Nuggets. So uh, I think the answer in this series is whether or not Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee are actually part of your one through eight. If if they're able to get 18 solid minutes out of their center position from either of those guys, then they then they count, and then all of a sudden then their depth is okay. Um, but it's an interesting – it'll be interesting to see. So one other X factor in all of that, uh, I talked to Pace Mannion, uh, just randomly had a call with him, and he went straight to, in the bubble, without the fans and the craziness behind the glass, shooters, if you get if you just hit a couple shots, you can be locked in so quickly. It can be such a good environment for a shooter. And so that brings up the question, is Murray... Murray had the quietest 40 points. I mean, we were all amazed that the Clippers were blowing the 3-1 lead and then not competing in the second half of Game 7. But Jamal Murray went for 40. In another situation, we would have made a massive deal out of that. Is he going to go for 40 and be a huge X-factor in this series? 
Well, they went for 20 in the second quarter, and I thought that won the game because watching the Clippers play in that series, what the Clippers wanted is was just to be so much better than you, it was easy for them. And they were up 11, and Jamal Murray went crazy in the second quarter, and all of a sudden they went to the hat locker room, and the Clippers realized it wasn't going to be easy. And I just don't think they had the fortitude to fight through that. I know it sounds crazy in a Game 7, but I'm not sure we've ever seen a team just fold the deck chairs in a Game 7 like that in the history of the game. Like I think it'd be really hard to go back and find all the important – and I'm not talking about like – when a one seed plays an eight seed, right? I'm talking about like a team that was supposed to be a championship caliber team get to into game seven. The only thing I could think of that was close was when LeBron's Cavaliers kind of folded against the Celtics and LeBron's in Cleveland and, and he was just worn out, you know, and, and he kind of folded his deck tent in that game. But I mean, I've not seen anything like what the Clippers did in the second half of that game where they just literally rolled over and died in a game seven without fight. So to me, that second quarter by Jamal Murray when he had 20 was pretty loud and it was the key to the entire game. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, um, I, I don't know how, I don't know how they guard Jamal Murray and, and Jokic are the Stockton Malone right now of the unguardable two man game. I don't know how you guard it. Um, you know, I saw somebody talking about, the key for the Jazz is to find a guard that can guard Jamal Murray. He just had a pick on the guard, and then he's not guarding him anymore. <laughs> so I'm not even sure that that's the answer. Um, I frankly think that the Jazz did a, had some spans in there where they probably played about as well on Murray as they could. He went, he went three for three in the mid-range, and you know the, the whole reason the Jazz lose the series, if I think it's game five, there's two random loose balls that fly out to Murray for open threes, and he hits them both. I mean, give him credit. Like, he just knocked them both down. And, you know, one was off a Conley deflection, one was off a rebound. And those, that was the difference in that game. It wasn't anything out of a defensive structure. So, you know, I don't know who, what they're, you know, they're going to throw Contavious Caldwell Pope and they'll throw Rajon Rondo and they'll throw, um, they'll miss Avery Bradley. Um, they'll throw Alex Caruso at Jamal Murray. But when Jokic sets the pick, is Anthony Davis coming out and guarding him? Are they trapping him? And then if they trap him, then Jokic is conducting. Um, I, you know, I think a little bit to DJ to PK's point, like I think they're going to make Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, and Gary Harris make shots early in that series. And if they do, then it's then what we've seen is that Denver gets better and better and better offensively as the series goes on because Murray and Jokic just seem to have the answer to everything. When it comes to the draft, you like to do a lot of research and all that stuff, and I'm wondering how much of a crapshoot it's going to be without individual workouts and all the things that led the awesome. Jazz to draft Mitchell. And How do you think it's going to play out? Well, I think it's really interesting. So I was actually listening to, uh, I was listening to the Locked on NFL podcast, and Tony Wiggins was talking about how he had been with a bunch of NFL area scouts recently and they were all talking about how the draft in the NFL last year because coronavirus hit pretty late and um, some of the stuff that you know the combines and some of those things weren't done the same way that the GMs had to sit back and let the area scouts actually have their impact and that the first week of the NFL had more high level rookie performance even without training camp than kind of we've ever, than we've seen in a long time and their their assessment it was self-servingly was like that the big guys in the top of the ivory uh, tower didn't screw up what the guys you know on the ground had seen and it was interesting because i now go back to another podcast i was listening to with john hollinger when john hollinger made the comment that if he could change anything in the draft process he'd get rid of draft workouts because 
as valuable as they might be, they create a recency bias that is unavoidable. And it is the last thing you've seen. There's nothing you can avoid to have it be the last thing you've seen. And it will have the most impact on you because it's the last thing you've seen. And that's just the human nature. And so that you bring a guy in for a draft workout and it suddenly, you know, takes away the seven months or 17 months of work that someone maybe had done on this player because it's your most everyone in the room saw it. It's the only person kind of everyone. So you, you put those two things together. I think this draft is going to be amazing. Um, I've got some, you know, I think there's an interesting one on analytics. Like I actually last year didn't watch any draft film, but did a bunch of analytical numbers on players and just decided to look and see. And Tyler Hero like peaked out on my, um, some of the analytics numbers for athletics and shooting and things of that nature. So I do think that maybe if some, if some team has a metric that is able to do analytics on draft prospects and be able to figure some things out, that's going to be incredibly valuable. Um, and then those that were ahead of the game, right? Those that have put the time in, that did the work, that were, that were, that weren't relying on the combines or the draft workouts or things like that, but have actually put in the effort. And that's that's a staff issue as much. GMs and assistant GMs are super busy during a year, and they they don't have the capability, um, you know, in the NFL particularly, in the NBA as well. But I mean, Dennis and Justin are pulled in a million different directions, and so. You know, they don't have the time to go to the University of Iowa practice or the University of Illinois practice the way the scout you should, who should be doing that for you um, and going to the University of Kentucky practice and be able to see some of these guys or, you know, um, how well you scouted the Nike Hoop Summit two years ago or the McDonald's All-American or the ABCD game or some of those things are really going to matter. I think it's going to be great. I think this is going to show which organizations are on top of their game and which aren't. And I think you'll see, you know, we've seen it a lot recently, the Kawhi Leonard, Clay Thompson draft, which, um, you know, is the, is the kind of best example of a completely inverted draft where one through 10 is not as good as 11 through 20. But I would guess that there'll be some real fines um, by those teams that are on it in this upcoming draft. And I think there'll also be um, more, uh, to be a little um, uh, uh, cynical, I think there'll be more promises. I think you're going to see players get promised at 22 or 20 or things like that um, and maybe suddenly become a little less available for teams to look at. I'm not sure how they do that in this model, but there's going to be somebody who has someone they like and they don't want them out there. I saw a couple of takes on Twitter about Goran Dragic as he looks good in these playoffs and makes big plays. And, and you're, you're big into the analytics and all that, and I don't know if this stuff completely misses this or in a weird way if you could discover it with that. But they were talking about how Dragic is a gamer. He's a big gamer. He's a big gamer in international uh, tournaments, and he's a big gamer in the playoffs. And the people putting out this are like, he has a shockingly low percentage of bad games when it's kind of this winner-take-all. He doesn't show up as well in the regular season, maybe, but it really shows in tournaments, in knockout play, in NBA playoffs. Can you, dis- can you discover that kind of stuff, or you got to be the area scout on the ground and see guys to really realize that kind of talent? I mean, so he led Slovenia to the Euro Cup. With right, that was, office, that, that was sliding. That was sliding, yeah coach um, that had Luca on that team and Luca was tremendous, but Dragic was the MVP of that series of that tournament. 
Um, and then if you go back and look, even when he was 24 for Phoenix, he was really good in the playoffs. Um, and then he's been great for Miami. They've had limited experience, but he's been great in every single one of his playoff performances. Um, he's just crafty um, and plays it. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the easy hey, the easy answer on some of these guys, and I think this is where we really missed Boyan, frankly. I don't think we missed Boyan's three-point shooting in the corner. It would have been pretty hard for our offense to be any better. But I do think there might be something – to Jokic, Drogic, and Bogdanovich and the world they grew up in and what they experienced as young children and the fact that they're not quite as flustered by moments and have a level of toughness and, and depth to, because of life experience that's different than the average American kid. There might be something there. Um, I think it's a worthwhile discussion uh, if I was a scout in a room of what, whether there's something there um, because, you know, big games – seem to bother them less and I you know I think what Boyan brought us all year long was it was a grit and uh um it's a quiet grit but it's the you know it's the miss the second game of the year with the sprained ankle and then the trainers come to him and he's like you got your one I'm going to play like you know I'm playing like I'm you know and there's other stories that I probably can't share about it all year long but the wrist is one of them um where that was going on all season long and he just was going to fight through it and you know I think we missed that intangible aspect of Boyan Bogdanovich. And, and if you want to, if you want me to say like we would have won beat Denver, if we had Boyan, the answer to that to me is yeah, but it wouldn't have been because we hit another corner three or we made another shot. I thought we did, you know, our offense was clicking at one thirty for most of that playoff series. Hard to get any better than that. It would have been just because he has a, a grit level to him. That is a little different than anybody else we have. So then the Jazz need more itches on their team then. Uh, you know, the, so far the, the teams with itches are, are scratching them well. Nice. Well, maybe we should leave it right there. <laughs> maybe it terrible. That. that was a it was setup. Ter- <laughs> it was terrible. Okay, one more thing then. All right. so you don't oh, have man. to end on that. I, enjoy, I, must tell, I must tell you, I enjoy these conversations immensely. Thank you very much. I sit out same, every Friday morning. I sit in the same spot. Screwed up this morning. My apologies. And uh, I really enjoy these conversations. You guys are terrific. Can the Nuggets upset the Lakers? Or the favorite is the favorite for a reason, and the Lakers are going to the NBA Finals? Well, I mean, it sure feels like the Lakers are going to the NBA Finals. Um, the flaw the Lakers have is that they just are not a very good half-court offensive team, and they will go through this playoff run having not played a above-average defense. It's pretty nice. Um, you know, I thought they were really vulnerable. Um, I thought I took the Clippers because of this. Um, they're 19th in league in half-court offense. If Anthony Davis does not get out and run, um, and they don't get, 20, you know, if they don't get somewhere about 15 to 18 to 20% of their possessions in transition, they, they bog down really badly. Um, I don't know that I think Denver can prevent them from doing that. And frankly, you know, if Jokic has a weakness, it's probably he doesn't change uh, sides of the floor with great alacrity. And if Denver has a weakness, it's that they crash the offensive glass with such propensity that they are vulnerable to the transition game. So, uh, I I think, you know, can the Lakers, there's two things here. Can the Lakers get enough possessions with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee in the game so that Anthony Davis can be playing the four and out sprint Denver's defense? He run, They play about 7% more of their possessions in transition if Davis is at the four than if he's at the five. 
Um, so I've always thought that the key for the Lakers was to get him at the, you know, to get him out and running. Um, on the other end, in this series, he may be able to outrun Jokic well enough that if he can do it at the five as well. Um, so the, the mechanism by which Denver wins this series is makes it a half court game. They're a much better half court team. The Jokic Murray combination is better. Um, than anything the Lakers have, even with LeBron and, and AD. So that's the, the way to get it done. But I, I, I'd be surprised. And I do think the Lakers defensive length, which has just been awesome all season long, will have an impact on Denver. In, I'll tell you who it is in a minute, but an, uh, an NBA media member from outside of this market has already guaranteed me the East is going to win the NBA Finals. Um, that's not... I, you know, um, guaranteed. Did not hedge. Interest, all right, so here's an interesting one. I feel like Denver matches up better against Miami and Boston than the Lakers do. But you don't think they're going to get there? I don't really think they're going to get there. So that's, yeah, so I'm kind of agreeing with that person. You know, Boston, Brad Stevens is a great coach. I'm not trying to minimize him this at all. They, they I don't know if it's because of the zone. I don't know if it's because of the youth of the team. I don't know if it's just because this is a reality of playoffs and I don't get it. They lack an offensive creativity that is bothersome to me in key moments in, in games. And and even for you know they Brad has some of the best out of bounds plays and some other stuff and you know this is maybe an overrated version of coaching, but they don't like run some intricate stuff. You know I don't look at him as though he's like I think they're very well prepared and like I you know Jimmy Butler's got to get to his right hand and Daniel Tice comes out and closes and forces him to left hand and denies the drive like that's a subtle thing but that's brilliant preparation and coaching and then you know frankly Jason Tatum screwed it up. A possession later where he let him get to his right hand. But the first one is kind of what there is great preparation. That's great coaching. So I'm not trying to criticize, but I am underwhelmed by what they run offensively and um, what they run in as the game, as the game goes on offensively. So um, in that sense, I'm not sure. I think Boston could beat either the Lakers or the Nuggets. Yeah. PK and I were jointly horrified by the amount of uh, standing around and dribbling in the last three minutes of game one. They yeah, were in a good spot, and all that you know, isolation it, stuff didn't make any sense to either one of us. Even if you watch them early, like I watched really closely last night, even early in the game or early in the second half, early in the second half was really bad. Now, that might have been because of the zone. Um, but it's not, like, it's just not, they don't, they're not, you know, there was the, there was the audio cut of Brad telling the guys, great job, you're swinging it side to side, and you're getting on both sides. Like, they don't do that a lot, actually. Like, it's interesting that they don't, you know, now we're used to watching the team that moves the ball an inordinate amount of time and plays advantage basketball. And maybe, you know, maybe if we had Boston's talent, which is, you know, just extreme. Um, I mean, I just think Boston's incredible. I just think they're so good. Um, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that they're losing. But, um, you know, the other one is, by the way, is I, I'll just leave this out there. I don't know anything. I don't have any insight on this one. This is just totally me watching. I cannot believe Jalen Brown is sticking around there. Like, he cannot be okay at this stage of his career, considering some of the nights he's had when he's been on his own, of just watching Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum take every shot and then Marcus Smart snaring a possession every now and then and becoming an offensive rebounding putback guy for the fourth quarter every night. That, that cannot be okay with him. He's, he is a third pick of the draft who thinks very highly of himself and wants more. I, I think he is the next Harden 
which is a major piece that gets moved out of because there's not enough possessions on that team. Mark it down. David, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again. Talk to you soon. All right. David Locke, Radio Voice of the Jazz. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Cheap Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. All the stuff we have been talking about this morning, college football, we spent some time on that. Well, we actually spent a lot of time just on, there's so much going on right now because we didn't have any sports for a few months. And so now everybody's playing. What are you going to watch this weekend? There's pro football, there's college football, there's NBA and NHL playoffs, there's Major League Baseball down to the last 10 games in the regular season, and you got a major golf championship with the U.S. Open. RSL's at home, I've probably left somebody out, but there's a lot of stuff out there. Out of all of that, PK, what grabs you the most? Soccer. (laughs) What an idiot question. And if you wonder why, that's why. I don't understand why people think I hate soccer. Because <laughs> you take shots like that. It's not a shot. It is. I included it on the list. Clearly a shot. <laughs> no, not included on the man. list isn't the shot. The shot is the tone you just had when you said that a minute ago. Oh, screw my tone. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> do. <laughs> screw him and his tone, click. <laughs> Come on, Tone. Come on. I'm Tone Deef. <laughs> I know you well enough to know you that Saturday night you are going to channel surf, and the most drama is the one you will settle on. You can't actually predict what you're going to watch right now. You're going to have an NBA playoff game because it'll be game two in the East. You're going to have RSL. You're going to have multiple uh, college football games, and you got Major League Baseball. I don't. I assume the Diamondbacks play Saturday night, but it could be I've Saturday. I've given up on them. We'll see you next. Oh, you week. have. Never yeah. mind. You're done. There's yeah. like ten games to go. Forget about it. Because you know what? The thing about it is, uh, I have to go to another television to watch them, and it just becomes too complicated, huh? It yeah, and exactly, and so because that's on my direct, which I have direct simply for those idiots and then my comcast which is the one that i watch far more so i have to get up off off of my lazy boy go to another area to watch it but since they suck and they've traded so many guys and now they're just playing a bunch of dudes that suck i've given up on them so i'll just uh have whatever's on comcast which is the baseball channel uh, so and then they'll have some games on. But you're right, yeah. I'm hoping I'm hoping college football something out there because it, it it's just been a, it it's my that's it's not my one thing because I'm, I'm I'm more than just a college football guy. But it's the time of year. 
I mean, Saturdays for college football, for me, I've been so invested in this for 20 years of long days and long great days. Guy asked me yesterday, a friend of mine, we went out to lunch, he said, what what sport do you really consider, oh, I've got to do this, you know, pertaining to my job? I said, yeah, I don't have any, really. Uh, maybe the Jazz, because they play 82, and I feel absolutely uh, obligatory that I must watch every single one. But even that, sometimes it can get a little monotonous, you know, when the games run together and some of the games are... Predictable, yeah, I mean, as, as, when they're as, predictable. Well, it is for the players, too, because yep. they can't give 100% when they're traveling all over the country. I mean, they can give 100%, but their 100% fluctuates. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's because, all they got in the tank. Yeah, so that that night's 100% isn't the same as a playoff 100%. Dennis Lindsay basically said this. Obviously, he phrased it differently, but in his season-ending remarks, he said they've gotten feedback from the players. The lack of travel elevated the quality of the competition. He says, obviously, there's business concerns, and can you bring people together in neutral sites for tournaments because you got to sell tickets, and owners are counting on that. That's how budgets are built. But he says, we've got to listen to players. If you're going into New York and L.A., do you just play two games in three days and minimize the travel and just sit there and take a day off and then play the other team? You don't want to do that because you're trying to sell – you know, for the jet, for the out of town fan, the out of town jazz fan or warrior fan or whoever, you want to kind of space that out. They may not want to go see the team twice in three days, but from the competitive standpoint, or going through Texas where there's three teams, you know, don't don't go down to Texas multiple times. You go to Texas, play all three teams, and minimize the flights. If you can, sure, I think that would increase the level of quality of competition because these guys, you only got so much energy in the tank, and so many of these 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 games just keep coming at you like a blizzard, basically, and you could barely see half the... You don't even know. I mean, I've been there as a sports writer and then traveling a little bit, not as much with the radio, but back in the day of going in, standing in a uh, an elevator and not remembering which floor I'm on. <laughs> I mean, I've done that because you're just whipping through these places so much that you get... You just forget. I can only imagine these guys, which is so much more intense, and they have to be out there. I don't have to do anything physically. I go down in the morning and work out a little bit in the gym. But these guys, you know, it, obviously it's going to affect the level of a competition and the quality of play, which is why I've enjoyed the bubble. I don't, I've determined I'm not going to let the politics, and I think the politics have just kind of taken a backseat anyway now. It's about the competition. I mean, we're going to remember this playoff thing, not from Doc Rivers' speech of we love the country and they don't love us back. We're going to remember the Clippers choked. <laughs> and so that stuff, it's certainly important, but it's about the basketball, and I've loved the basketball in the bubble because they've been able to compete. And it's playoff time anyway, so it probably – would be competing at a high level, maybe because of the shooting backgrounds and all, as we've heard Bridget Miller was talking about. Yep. You just spoke about how Pace Mannion talked about it. These guys have been in these situations a million times over, so clearly they know what they're talking about. And Reggie Miller, obviously, when it comes to shooting, he's going to be able to speak with authority. So he was saying, that, you know, this is like heaven, yep. basically <laughs> yeah. paraphrasing him. So uh, I get it. There's truth to that. But the level of spirit of competition in the playoffs is so much higher uh, but for me, it, it's, it really never really is work, but I am missing 
I'm missing my guys, my conference, my teams playing college football. And well, even the and leagues that, that are allegedly playing aren't playing this weekend. I mean, the SEC isn't playing. The Big Twelve has two non-conference games this weekend. Uh, you know, obviously the Big Ten and the Pac-12 aren't going. So we say college football is going, but there's two non-conference games in four of the five big leagues. So there isn't right. really all that much college football. This is nothing. This is basically another week zero. That's what it is. Well, it seems like the whole thing has been yeah uh, uh, for two, three weeks now. All of Plus, September is, really. Yeah, my guys aren't playing. And I, we get so excited for college football, and then you sort of, okay, let's get uh, BYU-Utah, except that you sort of, let's get past these couple of weeks. And then that first conference, do you remember that first conference game last year was down in Los Angeles on mm-hmm. that Friday night? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, I was so amped for that game. Yeah. And then uh, Slovis goes down early, like third play of the game. I think, oh, this is huge for the Utes. And then, and then what's the face? <laughs> Fink comes in, chucks it. Uh, who's the big guy kept making the catches in the NFL right now? Uh, Pittman? Michael is Pitt- that it? Yeah, Michael yeah. Pittman Jr. Yeah. And he, and he may not even be the best uh, in terms of their receivers. Man, SC has just thrown out a slew of receivers. And you look at the – you just watch the games. Juju Smith-Schuster, mm-hmm. Robert Woods. I mean, oh, the list goes on. Uh, 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 on and on. Nelson, uh, what's his face? What's the guy's last Aguilar. name? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, they just got one after another, and these guys. And I can remember, we, I was so excited for that game. And Kyle, I guarantee you, no one's going through undefeated. So we still, I mean, he kept pounding, pounding that. Turned out he was right. Nobody did go, SC didn't go undefeated. I think they might have lost the next week. Was it? They went up to Seattle and got beat. But it's such a big, big deal. And we don't have that right now, and, and it, it, it's a it's a blow for me. We were talking earlier in the show about uh, authentic, you know, and how much do you root? And you were talking about RSL, and you can hear it in my voice in the post game, right? Absolutely, in the post game, I'm still feeling the winning or the losing. It doesn't stick around to the next day or two. Nothing lasts. But it's funny. I thought of that. We're up against here because we went so long with Locke. We're not going to be able to talk about as much stuff as we normally do. But I thought about that when you mentioned that USC game because I don't feel a lot of disappointment after a lot of college football games, and I definitely did after that one. You know, Can the Utes go to the Pac-12 title game? Can they win the Pac-12 title game? Could they actually go to the playoff? You know, All those questions were in the air. And to lose that game. At that point, I wasn't even sure if they could run the conference t- table. You know, They lost the one game of the team that's got – you know, kind of similar, t- not similar talent isn't right, but you get it where the town, ta- there isn't a big talent differential, right? They're good in different spots, different position groups, but both those teams had a lot of talent. Now, are they just going to have a game where they have three turnovers and they just mess up against somebody and then they lose the tiebreaker at SC and they're done? Well, it turned out they did win eight in a row and go to the conference title game and right about the time everybody got their hopes up again, they lost the conference title game. But that yeah. would be one of the times where I really felt it. You know, and after a lot of the wins, I don't, I'm not invested in the same way other people are invested. And you probably get it as well as anyone because I think it's largely true with you too. But, you know, you go into a game, it wasn't quite that pronounced, but there were times going into games last year uh, against Arizona and against UCLA where it was back, back in the Mountain West days where, yeah, they're playing New Mexico and UNLV and games are fun, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who's going to win this thing. <laughs> it's like I'm not feeling a lot of drama going into this one. That's why that ball game up in Seattle – 
because you did feel Huskies it going into that right huge yep and walking around i usually get to the stadium early my wife came with me on that trip and just seeing youth fans outside the stadium and just the apprehension it was so fun because we didn't know who was going to win we we, we really and utah historically has sort of lost that game because it's in november and that's why somebody on the staff came up to me. This is the first time we got a game like this since we've yep. been in the Pac-12. And he was right. And that was a huge, huge win. And uh, set them up certainly to win the division. And, you know, Oregon, it was what it was. The bowl game, I was thinking about this. Screw the bowl game, man. <laughs> the, the, the Pac-12 loser in a title game, they might as well not even play a bowl game. because they they lost lose. every. They're 0-9. Yep. <laughs> and so if they to get in a nine game season if they have to skip going to bowl games, come on, we both talked to administrators who said you lose money going to most bowl games. Yes, I, that's what I was saying yesterday. So just if you can't if the coaches and the stories we were talking about who are coaches are saying the strength and conditioning guys are saying the Pac twelve players aren't really ready to play until November and December or December, depending on who it is and what date they pick, right? Well, so if you basically play a conference schedule in December and January and you plug the conference championship game in around the Super Bowl and whatever TV window, I don't know, the week before, the week of on the Saturday, I, I, whatever they figure out, I don't care. Uh, that's good enough for me, you know? And I, th- I think that you do have to listen to that whole two seasons and one season thing. But I think if you're done in January, it's not that much later. And you're playing fewer games. You're playing nine games, not 12. Uh, so to me, that doesn't seem to be full-fledged spring football. And I would think that you could then go in next season and presumably, hopefully, have next season look like a normal season. Because there is nothing. And the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, they made the big public pronouncements. So they're taking the hit right now because now they're doubling back and trying to figure out how to play, right? So it's just like, guys, by your own words, it's not matching up. You're all over the map. What are you doing? Right, but it's not a normal season when you see players at LSU opting out. When you see the SEC still hasn't played a game yet. When we're in mid to late September and there's two Big Twelve non-conference games and everybody else is off, the ACC is already rescheduling games. This it couldn't be more stark. The announcement that got made about college basketball. Okay, the NCAA runs it. Here's the rules. There's no drama. There's no arguing. There's no politics. There's no ineptness. There's no none that says and college football as it all because you got ten different groups. Nobody's on the same page. I mean, it's most obvious with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. But come on, the ACC and the SEC aren't on the same page. Yeah, maybe also do what you do for uh, spring ball. I mean, the actual, the traditional spring Mm -hmm. practice is a lot of its effects on the body. Mm -hmm. So if you do extend the season, then when you get to the spring for spring practice, you don't have a bunch of contact in spring practice. And and it's not like it's imperative because a bunch of guys sit out spring ball anyway. (laughs) Anyway, Right. So maybe you could just have walkthroughs. You could still have it, but it's a modified version, so it's way less of a toll on the body. Does that make sense? It does. The two things, and and we should get football people on here, you know, ex-players or whatever, or coaches to go through this with us. But the two things right away, you limit the hitting. Do you have helmets and do you have pads? You know, or maybe you have neither of them. You know, and it'd be interesting to hear former players, yuck, for next week. (laughs) <laughs> since it's Friday, for next week. We'll, uh, maybe we'll go into that and say, hey, if they're going to push this back, how do you have to modify spring practice so you're not just breaking kids' bodies? Because there, there are coaches saying the players united are right. They are right about their health. 
You know, we can't throw everything around for TV money and ask these guys to get all beat up. And we've heard it even at the high school level. We've had people on TV saying, uh, the, the Olympus coach, saying we've already got two kids with separated shoulders. We weren't, we weren't allowed in the weight room. You know, and then you go out and you have contact. Well, this is what happens. So it's, e- it's easy for us to sit here. It's not our shoulders who are going to get separated. But that's what strength and conditioning coaches in the Pac-12 are saying. So look out. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Didn't he just say there's nothing the state is doing to stand in the way of college football? What? Your policy is in the way. I'm not following that, really. (laughs) Pro teams are doing it. Sorry, my phone's ringing. What, is this your first day on radio? Oh, well, just let it ring out. Hit the the button. I know, it's across the roof. Jake, why are you calling me? <laughs> are you just doing that just to bug me now? I am. I admit it. That was a low blow. Who's calling uh, you this time? Um, I don't know who that you is. You don't have Lloyd's number in your phone. Now Scotty's calling. <laughs> Phone's ringing, dude. The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback. You State Iceman, how will this affect recruiting in the Pac-12 if they don't get playing soon? Minimally, I would think. There's a limit on scholarships. And most of the guys who are recruited tend to be three-star guys. Now, could you lose an elite four- or five-star guy or an elite quarterback out of the region? Sure, you could. It's already happened, and it'll happen again, I suppose. But I would think that you know, the, the teams that can do that, the Alabamas and the Ohio States and whoever else is uh, Clemson, whoever else is recruiting nationally, uh, they're landing a bunch of four- and five-star guys from other areas of the country, too. So... I would think that the Pac-12 loses a few. Maybe they lose a few recruits off the top, and other than that, it's it's pretty much the same guys, isn't it? Well, my line of thinking is if I'm a high school senior, and a lot of high school seniors have already made commitments. For instance, mm-hmm. I know the Devils have like 21 commitments right now, right, from kids who are high school seniors, and, they're not, and a lot of them are not playing depending on where you're from because we know many states, obviously California being the leading one, is not playing ball right now. But my line of thinking is, wait a second, you have a whole recruiting class that came in for the 2020 season. So if I'm coming in for the 2021 season, that would mean that that 2020 group has no leg up on me because they didn't play. And so then when I come in, these freshmen who were already existing freshmen – they didn't, depending on what happens going forward in the Pac-12, they may not get uh, much experience because how is all the thing with the preseason training and all that stuff and the, the extended training camp where you can hunker down and learn and all that stuff, they may not get that opportunity. So the the playing field as far as competing with freshmen next year this year's freshmen could be more even. So I would view myself as, well, wait a second, I'm really good. So I'm coming in and I'm playing in a play. Nobody's coming in thinking, well, geez, I'm, I'm, gosh, I'll be lucky if I get out on the field. Why would you sign with that school in the first place? So the bottom line is it's a long, rambling way of saying that I agree with you. I don't see where it makes that big of a difference because they're already getting rated. 
I mean, my goodness, the quarterback for Oklahoma is a, a Phoenix kid and bugs the crap out of me. The quarterback at uh, Iowa State is a Phoenix kid. <laughs> and if they go to other schools, like the quarterback from SC is a Phoenix kid, the starting quarterback from Oregon is a Phoenix kid, well, they're already staying in the conference, so clearly that hasn't hurt the conference. I also think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to transfers because everyone's getting an extra year, but you're going to plug an extra year's worth of recruits into the system. Are they going to go from 85 scholarships to 100 and then over three or four years ratchet it back down to 85? How's that going to work? Is there going to be room for the transfers? Transfers have been really helpful and also, I guess, on the flip side, probably really hurt schools as they've lost some guys. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And that the transfer market is now a big part of the recruiting market. It's not just high school kids. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're out of time. And Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you Sunday night on Talking Sports.